Brouche is an electric toothbrush that will change the way you think about brushing your teeth. With powerful sonic technology and ultra-gentle bristles, the Brouche redefines what it means to have super clean teeth. It's like that feeling when you just leave a dentist, a fresh, whole mouth clean every single day. Our listeners get 15% off their total purchase with the code POD15. Follow the link to the show notes and enter the code POD15 to get your exclusive discount and upgrade your oral care routine. The Oracle Network. And welcome to Yule Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Singel. Hello. How Hi. are you? I'm good. Yeah. I'm full of brats and beans. <laughs> That's, That's a wicked combination right I know. There. <laughs> I'm probably going to regret it here in like a half hour. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised you're not regretting it already. I'm <laughs> like, I am full of all the regrets. Okay, so this is like the first pseudo-official episode of our quote-unquote new year of podcasting, year two of podcasting, two. I guess. Yeah. So we just call it a season and be one of those? I mean, we could. Season two, Electric Boogaloo. Yeah. The our reckoning. seasons are just the, the, the next year. Yep. <laughs> we could call our first season The Plague since it was during... <laughs> We call it season one masked and then the second season unmasked. <laughs> <laughs> so this case took me down like a rabbit hole. And funnily enough, this is the case that I started researching last week because I forgot that it was our anniversary episode. So I got like okay. halfway through my research for this one before I was like, oh, shit, rewind. And then I had to like <laughs> research an entirely new case, yeah. but, which was fine. Because then when I went back to this one to finish the research, it was already mostly done. But then I still spent another like five hours on it. So, ooh, okay. I'm intrigued. What is this? We are going to be discussing Kate Webster. Are you familiar with that name at all? I'm familiar with the name, but like my pea-sized memory, she is in and out like the wind. I don't Okay. So this topic was requested by Bernadette of the Murderific Podcast. Thank you, Bernadette. So I hope you like this because it yeah. took me down all the internet rabbit holes. There's a lot of deep ones in there, too. Mm-hmm. Felt very much like Alice in Wonderland during this one. Ooh. So information was pulled from the following sources. A 2021 catdebit.com blog post. 2017 The Irish Post article by Gerard Donaghy. 2017 Mental Floss article by Sonia Batomsky an archival piece from the University of Cambridge, a core article from the Oxford Brooks University by Anne-Marie Kilday entitled Constructing the Cult of the Criminal, Kate Webster. And then I'm not going to read the rest of it. It'll spoil it. (laughs) Partial title. Thank you for your service. (laughs) Yes. You can read the full title in the show notes. And then encyclopedia.com, which had a lot of wrong information. Shame on you, encyclopedia.com. Wow. Nothing like the books. No. (laughs) Am I right? (laughs) Whoever wrote that did not proofread it or check their sources. 
So shame on you. Bummer. And then Old Bailey Online, Murderpedia, and Wikipedia. Wikipedia wasn't wrong? Wikipedia wasn't wrong because it had all the source material. And that's why I have multiple sources. Yep. Because it would have been soups wrong. So links to all these articles will be included in the show notes. So before we begin today's tale, which may be one of the more well-known cases we've covered since our episode on Marianne Cotton, I just want to give a warning that it will be gross. And I'll let you know when we get to the gross bits, but just to give y'all a little heads up. It's not super bad. Good, because I just had a chalupa, so anything could happen. (laughs) (laughs) It's graphic enough where it might upset somebody. So I wanted to give a heads up. Okay. So born Catherine Lawler in Killan, Ireland, near Enniscorthy County, Wexford, in 1849, to poor but respectable parents, not much is known about her early life. By the age of 15, she's ar- she'd already been imprisoned for larceny in Ireland. What? <laughs> yes. Dang. And following her release, she continued to commit petty theft until she'd saved enough money to emigrate to England via Liverpool before eventually settling in London in 1867. Okay. That's where all the, the bad blood people go. That's where all the fun stuff happens. Yeah. Upon arriving in London, Catherine became very acquainted with time in jail by serving short sentences for pickpocketing and larceny. She wasn't very good at pickpocketing. Yeah, I think it would be hard in a dress, a dress that has no pockets. Yeah, I just think she didn't really have the soft touch that a good pickpocket needs to be able to succeed in that craft. you really hard. Grabs it, it's like, you didn't see anything. She just (laughs) shoves her hand down in your pants really roughly and then tries to run away. In a bustle. Good Oops, luck. I fell. <laughs> Tell no one. She falls into you and just like paws frantically at you. <laughs> Run away. <laughs> when not imprisoned, she'd skulk about London with the use of a number of aliases to avoid capture, such as Webb, Gibbs, and Lawler. Regardless, she'd eventually find herself back in jail time and time again. At some point, she took and settled on the moniker of Webster and claimed to have married a sea captain with whom she'd had four children. When pressed on where her family was, she'd say they had all died. Aggressive. Yeah. The Daily Telegraph later described Kate as a, quote, tall, strongly made woman with sallow and much freckled complexion and large and prominent teeth, end quote. Oh, not a very nice description. No. But also, I would, that just gives me more oomph to my, like, she shoved you really hard and was like, oops, my bad, I fell. <laughs> but she tried to wrap you. Yeah, I'm going to send you a picture of this woman because she is. Oh, no. Well, it just kind of spoiled it, but thanks. What? Oh, did it tell you what it is? Oh, shit. Yep. Shit. <laughs> Ignore that. Ignore that. <laughs> fuck. Fuck. <laughs> No. <laughs> but yeah, she is. She's pretty scary. She looks like someone who would kill you. It's it's because she has so much white in her eyes. Is that what it is? I don't know. Like <laughs> she looks like she looks like like a paper mache murder face that you would wear on Halloween, and they like couldn't quite get the dimensions of the eyes right. She looks like if Wednesday Adams and Fester Adams merged together into one person. Yes. That's what she looks like. Yep. You're right. Okay, now stop looking at her. So don't spoil anything else. 
Okay. That was my bad. I should just copy and paste the picture. I'm like, you did that. <laughs> I saw the link and I was like, mm. <laughs> I clicked it and it's very clearly showcased. What you did. Damn it. <laughs> All right. You'll forgive about it in a few seconds. It's fine. Honestly, probably. So Kate found herself in penal prison for four years in 1868 for larceny at the age of 18. And after she was released in January of 1872, she worked as a cleaner and maid, but would still find herself in trouble. One con she committed multiple times was to rent a room at a boarding house before selling everything of value in the room and running away. Dang. I mean, I'm a clever. She did that a lot. In an effort to make money, Catherine, who is now going by the name Kate, would occasionally work as a sex worker. As a result of this, she gave birth at 25 to a son on April 19, 1874, that she named John W. Webster. And contrary to what many sites stated, it's believed that she held great affection for her son. But she actually probably loved him. Yes. Oh, nice. Kate never did disclose who the father was, listing three men as the potential father, one of whom was a man that she referred to as Mr. Strong. Clever. Yeah. Strong would be her accomplice in a number of robberies during their association. Oh my God, that's his actual name? Yeah. That's what she referred to him as. That was the name she gave him. I don't know if that was his actual name or not. That's your name now. This is who you are now. Forevermore, you'll be known as Mr. Strong. Kate once again found herself in prison twice for short stretches after giving birth to John. During an 18-month stay in Wandsworth Prison in West London, she was there after being convicted on 36 charges of larceny in May of 1875. What? In like one sitting? Yeah. Dang. And it was at this time Kate entrusted her son to a friend named Sarah Kreese, who worked as a charwoman for a woman named Miss Loader. Charwoman? What's that? So in Victorian England, a charwoman was another name for a maid hired to clean homes and offices. Oh, okay. Basically just a, Weird. a cleaning lady, basically. Okay. Kate was back in prison a couple years later in February of 1877, once again for larceny. But upon her release, she filled in for her friend Sarah one day at the home of Miss Loader, as her friend uh -oh. Sarah was sick. Loader would go on to recommend Kate's services to a friend who she knew was looking to hire a servant. Mm-hmm. Enter our victim, Mrs. Julia Martha Thomas. No. Julia Thomas was a retired school teacher and a twice widowed wealthy 52 year old who lived at two Mayfield Cottages, Park Road in Richmond. She lived in the leftmost portion of the two story semi detached villa that was surrounded by gardens. She was noted as a small, well dressed lady who had an excitable temperament and was a little eccentric. She was known to travel frequently at times for mm -hmm. days, weeks, even months at a time without a word to her friends or relatives. Okay, so so it would have been easy for her to disappear for a few days without anyone really knowing where she went. Correct. So, unfortunately, a pretty good victim. Yeah. <laughs> Mrs. Thomas hired Kate on the spot on January 13th, 1879, but their relationship was hardly a good one. Hmm. During Kate's tenure as her housekeeper at the age of 30, even though everything seemed to start off just fine, she stated that Mrs. Thomas often criticized the quality of her work, not to mention chastised her for all the time she spent at the local pubs. I mean, if your cleaning lady isn't cleaning well, yeah, and like taking lots of breaks, you could say something. Yeah, well, and I think based off what I read, Mrs. Thomas was 
a very devout Christian. And so I'm sure she viewed drinking as a sin. Judgy. Maybe a little aggressive about the cleaning because of her judginess. Okay. Mm -hmm. Of her time working for Mrs. Thomas, Kate stated, quote, At first, I thought her a nice old lady, but her cleaning standards were strict, too strict. And Mm. she would point out places where she said, I did not clean, showing evidence of a nasty spirit towards me, end quote. Yeah, that would be frustrating. After working a few months for Mrs. Thomas, Kate was given notice to end her service on February 28th. Kate asked if it could be extended to March 2nd. On Sunday, March 2nd, 1879, a drunken Kate appeared on Mrs. Thomas's doorstep after spending time at an alehouse, and the two began quarreling over the fact that she'd come back late after visiting her son, John, who was still being cared for by her friend, Sarah Kreese. Okay. Because at that time, she was living with Mrs. Thomas, like she was her live-in maid. Mm-hmm. And so she couldn't bring her son with her. So her son was okay. still, so she'd go visit her son during her time off. Hmm. At that time, Kate had been allowed Sunday afternoons off with the stipulation that she had to be back before Mrs. Thomas left for Sunday evening services. So that's okay. that's why she was a little pissed, not just because she was drunk, but because she was late, late, therefore making her late to the service. Yes. Okay. Once the fight passed, Kate seemingly went on her way, allowing Mrs. Thomas to attend church services. Things wouldn't take a turn until Mrs. Thomas later returned home. And people who knew Mrs. Thomas well commented on the fact that when she was at services that night, she did appear agitated and she was kind of out of sorts. And instead of staying and like kind of talking to people like she normally would after services, she just went straight home. Mm. So like she didn't dilly dally. That night, Mrs. Thomas's landlady's mother, a woman named Jane Ives, who lived in the other half of the villa, later stated that she heard a sound, quote, like the fall of a heavy chair, end quote. Mm. During a fight that broke out upstairs, following another quarrel, Kate threw Mrs. Thomas to the ground floor before she strangled her to death. And say what you will about her, but Kate sure was inventive when it came to disposing of the body. Oh, no. Is this the gross part? This is the part where things get a little gross. It's very, very short. Okay. So after strangling Mrs. Thomas... Kate dismembered her body with the help of an axe before boiling her body parts in a laundry copper, which is basically like this. Think of like a a fireplace, like a stone fireplace that has like a a big metal tub at the top. So you'd put firewood and stuff at the very bottom fireplace part and it would boil the water in the basin at the top for washing the laundry. Okay. So she put her in that part and was like boiling her. She then took Mrs. Thomas's bones and proceeded to burn them in the hearth along with the bloody clothes she'd been wearing. And because she couldn't stand the stench, Kate went next door to the Hole in the Wall pub and enjoyed a few drinks before returning to the house to finish up the job. Not long after this, Kate, posing as Mrs. Thomas, in a silk dress and carrying a black bag, began the process of trying to sell all the furniture of her late employer. Yeah, why not? Old habits die hard. She visited a family called the Porters and quickly spun a tale of how she'd been married, had a son, and then Mm -hmm. was widowed soon after before her kindly aunt in Richmond willed her her home. And she asked the Porters if they knew of anyone who might be interested in purchasing furniture. The Porters told her that Mr. John Church might very well be interested. 
So Henry mm-hmm. Porter and his son Robert accompanied Kate to Mr. Church's so they could make introductions. Okay. As the trio made their way back from Mr. Church's, they stopped at a few pubs along the way, one of which was located near Hammersmith Bridge. Okay. Once they'd arrived at the pub, Kate excused herself with the bag she'd been carrying, and upon returning to her companions, the bag was nowhere to be found. Hmm. And when they asked about the bag, she, because it was a really big bag, like, uh huh, like probably it, pretty heavy. Pretty heavy, because they had mm-hmm. taken turns carrying it for her. Nice. So think of, um, you know, the old like medical bags that like doctors during that period of time yeah. would use. Mm-hmm. Think of it as like a weekender bag. Like, yeah, like a weekender type bag, like that same kind of setup, but mm-hmm. twice as deep, twice as wide. So like very big bag. And it was typically something that you would wrap rope around or something to make sure it stayed closed. Mm-hmm. So this was this wasn't like a small like purse like handbag. This was a big no, bag. This was a big bag. But it was while at the beer house that Kate asked Henry if he would allow her to bring his son Robert with her to Richmond, and he agreed as long as she sent him back that same night by the last train. Mm-hmm. If she needed help moving something, so a friend could pick it up for her. Okay. After they arrived in Richmond around nightfall, the pair returned to Mrs. Thomas's home, where Kate carried out an ornate bonnet box. And I had to look up what a bonnet box is. Yeah. So it's like a hat box? No, no, no. It was intended to hold a bowl and pitcher for cleaning in the area at the top. And then it had an area below that had shelving, which I'm assuming was for like towels and other linens. So think of like a dresser size piece of furniture that has like a flap at the top that would cover up the pitcher and like the water basin where you would like wash your face and stuff and then the bottom with like drawers and like ye, ye old really intense makeup wipes pretty much yeah it's like a <laughs> like, like an actual dress, a dresser sized piece of furniture wow so yeah it was like a big piece of like wooden furniture that was about the size of a small dresser like not just some handbag yeah and kate asked robert if he would help her carry it over the nearby richmond bridge yeah that's huge once they had crested the bridge she asked him to leave her alone for a minute as she was meeting a friend and she told him she'd meet back up with him shortly Mm-hmm. robert later told the court that since it was so dark he didn't want to wander too far away but he was about a few yards off when he heard a large splash in the water below the bridge when she met up with him again, she simply stated, well, that's over. Nice. Subtle. Yep. Way to keep in character. It was around 1130 at night at this time. And since it was so late, she couldn't send Robert home that same night because the trains weren't running anymore. Mm-hmm. Instead, the pair slept at Mrs. Thomas's cottage before she sent him back home to his father the next day. And Kate... Under the assumption that she committed the perfect crime, sold yeah. Mrs. Thomas's furniture to Mr. John Church on March 9th for 68 pounds, which would be about 8,600 pounds today. Mm-hmm. With the understanding that he would schedule delivery vans to pick up the assorted furnishings on March 18th. So this that would have been almost three weeks after she actually yeah. murdered Mrs. Thomas. Dang. And she asked for 18 pounds or about 2,300 pounds up front, which he gave her. On March 5th, so just three days after the murder, a coal porter named Henry Wheatley discovered the bonnet box along the shore near the Barnes Railway Bridge, which is a few miles downstream from where Kate had dumped it into the Thames. He was 
horrified to discover that inside the chest were the mangled remains of a woman's torso, legs, and one foot. (laughs) That's so awful. At this point in history, forensics was still very much in its infancy, and medical examiners were unable to identify a body without a head. Yeah. A cursory examination of the remains couldn't turn up any clues as to how the mystery woman had died even though what appeared to be the missing foot of the victim turned up a few days later in the nearby suburb of Twickenham. It didn't really give the police anything to go off of. So the remains were buried at the local cemetery and the press began referring to the case as the Barnes mystery. Mm -hmm. A few weeks later, on March 18th, two men went to the home of Mrs. Thomas with the van to procure the goods on behalf of Mr. Church. Right. By this point, Mrs. Thomas had been missing for about two weeks. Okay. Miss Ives, the same Miss Ives who had heard the strange noises the night of March 2nd, mm-hmm. went outside to ask the men what they were doing. Of course. And they had told her, you know, that they were coming to procure furniture from Mrs. Thomas. Mm-hmm. And after, quote unquote, Mrs. Thomas was summoned to assist in the sale of the furniture, Miss Ives recognized her as Mrs. Thomas's servant, Kate. Kate told Miss Ives that Mrs. Thomas was traveling, but she wasn't sure where. Shortly thereafter, the men left without taking anything from the home, and Miss Ives called the police to report her neighbor missing. Weird. Kate was seen leaving the house a little while after this and wasn't seen again until she was extradited from Ireland. Upon leaving the house, she picked up her son and a black bag before taking a cab to Hammersmith Station. After getting a ticket for King's Cross, she headed home to Ireland. She had spent two weeks living in Mrs. Thomas's home, wearing her clothes, and posing as her whenever tradesmen would come to the house. Gross. Wow. That is awful. Yep. When police entered two Mayfield cottages to search for clues as to Mrs. Thomas's disappearance, they found a horrid sight. Bloodstains were everywhere, with some mm-hmm. showing signs that attempts had been made to clean up the mess. Of course. Charred bones were found in the kitchen grate, and a fatty substance was found behind the laundry boiler. (laughs) No. Yeah. No. Kate didn't cover her tracks well enough, as the police were able to find a scrap of paper with her address in Ireland, and they quickly sent out officers to bring her in for questioning. Yeah, she's dumb. She's pretty dumb. I'm ready. A full description of Kate Webster was circulated by police on March 23rd in connection to the murder of Mrs. Thomas and the theft of her personal effects, which included several clothes and pieces of expensive jewelry. Police were able to track Kate down in Killane, Ireland, where she was arrested on March 28, 1879 at her uncle's farm by the Royal Irish Constabulary. She was brought back to London to face trial, still wearing clothes and jewelry belonging to the late Mrs. Thomas. (laughs) she's the worst as she was taken back via train spectators would lay in wait at train stations hoping to catch a glimpse of the now infamous kate webster yeah she was gross and horrifying and terrible yeah the richmond police were able to get kate to make a statement on march 30th when she was formally charged with the murder in the statement she accused john church of being responsible and he was also arrested and charged with the murder Fortunately for Mr. Church, he had a strong alibi and the charges against him were quickly dropped. Meanwhile, Kate was transferred to Newgate Prison to await trial. And the impending trial was a media frenzy. I bet. I can imagine. 
not only had Kate committed a gruesome murder, but she'd attacked and killed someone above her station. Yep. Not only that, but she was also a woman. Mm-hmm. And she was Irish. Yeah. There was a lot of prejudice against Irish during this time. Yeah. That makes sense. As it was noted in a book on the case entitled Murder, quote, Victorian ideals of femininity envisioned women as moral, passive, and not physically strong enough to kill and dismember a body, end quote. So she quickly was just like, yeah, no, I could do that. Yeah, I can do it. Anyone can do it. Yep. Real good at it. Gross, 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 gross. Sunday, April 13th, a black bag was fished out of the Thames below London Bridge. Okay. The bag had been weighed down with two bricks, but it's believed that due to the state of decomposition, it began to float even with the added weights. Yeah, can't underestimate the power of gases. Yep. Upon examination at the police station, it was believed to contain the remaining remains of Mrs. Thomas, who by that point had been listed as missing, obviously. Mm-hmm. Because if you'll recall, I think her her arms were still missing at that point. Uh-huh. Robert Porter was fetched to verify that the bag in question was the one that he had carried for Kate. After looking at it, he stated that it was different from the one he carried, which led police to believe that there was a second bag that contained further remains of the victim. Mm-hmm. Her head was never found. And she never told him where it was. He stuck Kate. As she awaited trial, stories began to circulate regarding Kate and her crimes. There were unfounded reports that she had tried to sell two pounds of lard to a neighbor following the murder of Mrs. Thomas. Oh, no. And then offered the same <laughs> fat to neighborhood children after the neighbor refused to purchase it from her. Stop it. Oh, no. Many journalists likened her to a female version of Sweeney Todd, attempting to sell the reduced body fat of her victim under the guise of common lard. I'm sure they had just the greatest time with that. Yeah. And there was, like I said, there was no, like pretty much every site mentioned this, but there was no evidence backing up these claims. It was just sensational journalism. Yeah. That makes sense that it would be wildly sensationalized because it's just so shocking. Mm -hmm. Wednesday, July 2nd, Kate Webster was brought to the Central Criminal Court or the Old Bailey to stand Mm -hmm. trial before Justice Denman and was charged with the willful murder of Mrs. Julia Martha Thomas on March 2nd at Richmond in Surrey. The prosecution was led by the Solicitor General himself, Sir Harding Gifford, as well as a Mr. Poland and a Mr. A.L. Smith. Kate was defended by Mr. Warner Slay and Mr. Keith Briff. This next part is something I never heard of before. A Mr. J.B. Brindley acted as witness on behalf of the church. And now that I'm saying that, now that I'm saying that, I wonder if he was a witness to how wonderful Miss Thomas was as like a Christian woman. Maybe if it was because I know that to be more damning for Kate because she was not. Yeah. She was not a Lutheran lady. Yeah, I'm sure she was Irish Catholic. Yeah, she, the odds of her being Catholic are 50 50. Very, very high, <laughs> especially at that time in history. Yeah. Um, the solicitor started the trial by stating for the jury that Kate had begun her employment with Mrs. Thomas in January as a general servant. And during this time, she had entrusted the care of her five year old son 
to a woman named Mrs. Kreese, who mm-hmm. she had been living with prior at Mitchell's Row in Hammersmith. During the trial, it was stated that the neighbors hadn't noticed Kate much until early March, when Mrs. Thomas hadn't been seen for a while. Mm. On March 4th, Kate had been seen leaving Mrs. Thomas's residence in the company of a man named Mr. Porter with a black bag. Henry Porter lived with his son Robert near a beer shop and agreed to assist Kate in carrying the bag to the beer house in the Hammersmith Bridge Road area. And it was at that time that Kate then proceeded to leave Porter and his son with the bag mm-hmm. as they crossed the Dump bridge. It. Mm-hmm. Yep. Claiming that she was meeting up with a friend. Mm-hmm. And then about 15 minutes later, when she came back, she didn't have the bag with her. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned before, Robert testified to having helped Kate move the bonnet box to the bridge where he heard the large splash. Yeah. I bet that didn't feel good to say in a courtroom. Yeah. There were reports that a tall gentleman was crossing the bridge at the same time, but the police never figured out who this person was. And it almost kind of sounded like a red herring. Like, oh, it mm. could have been someone else. So, no, it's like, no, it was her. Yeah. <laughs> when asked to testify, Kate at first denied committing the murder and instead pinned the blame on Henry Porter and John Church. She even said that Mr. Strong, the assumed father of her son, was also involved. But these claims were quickly proven to be false. Yeah, grasping at straws, Kate. Sorry. Mr. Church testified that he hadn't known Kate until he was introduced to her on March 4th. Henry Porter denied all the claims that Kate made in regards to him, other than acknowledging that, yes, he had known her for some six odd years, as they had once upon a time been neighbors in Hammersmith, but Mm -hmm. they had not been close by any means. Okay. So when she was living with Sarah Kreese, she lived fairly close to the Porters. So they would see each other on occasion, like kind of like as in passing, but they weren't close by any means. They weren't besties. No. Yeah. Like, I think in the records, he said, you know, he'd seen her maybe a handful of times before she just appeared out of the blue being like, hey, friend, can you help me move some furniture? Fun fact. The mm. future king of Sweden, Crown Prince Gustav, attended Kate's trial on the fourth day of her proceedings. Just for funsies? Just for funsies. Like, that's how... That's how popular and high stakes it was. Yeah, that's like how sensational. That's what that's how word. sensational that case was. That he was like, I need to be there. <laughs> he was Crazy. like, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna use my celebrity status. Yeah, I'm gonna get in. Watch this lady get wrecked by the government. Yep. <laughs> by the law. By the law. By the law. The trial lasted for six days, and on the sixth day, the jury recessed at 5.15 p.m. to reach a verdict and returned to the courtroom just over an hour later at 6.26 p.m. Mr. Avery, the clerk of arraigns, spoke with the foreman of the jury, who stated that the jury found her guilty of the murder of Julia Thomas, with the punishment being death. In a desperate bid to delay her execution, Kate claimed that she was pregnant. Of course she did. A jury of matrons, which is also known as a group of 12 women, examined her and declared that she was lying. Dang. Because at that time, if she was pregnant, they would have delayed the execution until after she'd given birth. And then they would have proceeded to kill her. Which, like, yeah. Okay, but now you got an orphan. Yeah. Way to go, guys. Yeah. (laughs) Congratulations. Tap on that shoulder. The night before her execution, Kate recanted her story to the prison chaplain, Father McHenry, and apologized for implicating Mr. Church, Mr. Porter, and Mr. Strong in the murder. During her confession, Kate stated the following about the murder of Mrs. Thomas. 
quote, we had an argument which ripened into a quarrel, and in the height of my anger and rage, I threw her from the top of the stairs to the ground floor. She had a heavy fall. I felt that she was seriously injured, and I became agitated at what had happened, lost all control of myself, and to prevent her screaming or getting me in trouble, I caught her by the throat and in the struggle choked her. I chopped the head from the body with the assistance of a razor, which I used to cut through the flesh afterwards. What? That is so much more horrifying. I also used the meat saw and the carving knife to cut the body up with. Mm -hmm. I prepared the copper with water to boil the body to prevent identity. And as soon as I had succeeded in cutting it up, I placed it in the copper and boiled it. I opened the stomach with the carving knife and burned up as much of the parts as I could. End quote. <laughs> so gross. The copper being the, the laundry boiler thing, in case that wasn't yep. clear. Yeah, that boiler's forever unclean. Forever unclean. Kate stated that she packed all of the body parts into the bonnet box that could fit, and then the remainder were put into a bag before throwing them into the Thames. The only parts that weren't packed up were a foot, which was found in Twickenham amongst the rubbish, and Mrs. Thomas's head. Yes. On Tuesday, July 29th, 1879, at Wandsworth Jail, Kate was set to be executed. The only people present at her execution were the governor, the jail chaplain, the sheriffs, William Marwood, the executioner, a select number of members of the press, and a few gentlemen who had, quote, been granted the privilege to be present, end quote. Gross. Kate was hanged at 9 a.m., making her the second person to be executed at Wandsworth and the only woman of what would become 135 total executed prisoners. Wow. Afterwards, a black flag was displayed outside the jail to announce that she had been executed. She was buried in an unmarked grave in one of the exercise yards at Wandsworth in grave number three. Fun fact, many of the male's graves would be reused over the years to save space after the 90th execution at Wandsworth, but her grave was never disturbed. Mm. The last execution at Wandsworth would take place on September 8th, 1961. Dang. The home wow. of the late Mrs. Thomas remained vacant for almost 20 years until 1897 when the murder had all but faded from the public's mind. That makes sense. Interestingly, in October 2010, a skull was discovered by workmen who were building an extension to the former home of Mrs. Thomas, which was then owned by TV naturalist David Attenborough. Oh, of course he owned it. The skull had one missing tooth and, quote, Fracture marks consistent with the fall down the stairs and low collagen levels consistent with it being boiled, end quote. Stop it. They found her head. Through the use of carbon dating and by matching up the skull fractures with the testimony that Kate gave during her confession, it was discovered that the skull did indeed belong to Mrs. Julia Thomas. Crazy. Apparently, Kate had dumped the head onto the stables of the nearby pub, The Hole in the Wall. Mm -hmm. which Attenborough had also purchased. Even up to her execution, Kate adamantly refused to dis disclose the location of Mrs. Thomas's head, most likely in a vain attempt to prevent police from identifying the boiled remains as those of Mrs. Thomas herself. Unfortunately for Mrs. Thomas, the location of the rest of her remains in the barn cemetery have been lost to time. Yeah. And the chances of her head being reunited with the rest of her body are quite slim. There was a rumor that Kate had sold Mrs. Thomas's gold bridge work to a pawnbroker for six shillings, but this has obviously been disproven because she had the bulk of her teeth. Yeah. Unfortunately for Kate's son, John, 
It said that her uncle refused to care for him after he heard what she was being charged with. And the Royal Irish Constabulary sent John to a local workhouse until they could find a place for him in an industrial school. Never had a chance. No. Hmm. Fun fact. Madame Tussaud created a wax effigy of Kate a few weeks after her arrest and had it on display as the Richmond murderess alongside wax works she'd made of Burke and Hare. Interesting. It was one of like the first wax people. Mm-hmm. Be Madame Tussaud. Wow. And to close this really fucked up tale, <laughs> here's a poem that was printed on a broadside along with several illustrations in 1879 that had an in-depth write-up of the case. Okay. Quote, Behold a wretched woman dying, condemned to death for murder see. Kate Webster now in anguish crying will end the famed Barnes mystery. The jury they have found her guilty. Mrs. Thomas, you from there on high. Behold your murderess now lamenting. You'll be revenged. She's condemned to die. Tis done and I in my death am waiting. Kate Webster cries. Why was I born? To hear each witness against me stating. For me it fills each heart with scorn. As link by link they were unfolding, my fearful death I there could see. The hangman I shall be beholding and meet a doom of infamy. And ere a wretch ere hope for mercy was ever woman so vile as me. I hope that God above will pardon and forgive when I am in eternity. Take warning by a wretched creature who now in sorrow her death does wait. While tears are streaming down every feature, no one will pity my awful fate. I thought Mm -hmm. I ne'er should be discovered, that fearful crime I could conceal. But when the box it was discovered, my mistress's murder it did reveal. When captured how my heart was sinking, that boy porter the truth did say, from guilt and death I now am shrinking, in a murderer's grave I must lay. Farewell to all, my child, my father, for me the solemn bell will toll. Oh, what a child I had died rather, may God have mercy on my soul. O mistress dear, while you in heaven, your pity pray and pardon give. And may I hope to be forgiven when on earth I no longer live. Fun. And that is the messed up tale of Kate Webster. Damn. I recognized the name before I started researching it. Yeah. And then as soon as I saw the thing about the bag, I was like, I know what case this is. I know what yeah. this is. No, but she's terrifying, though. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. She looks terrifying. Like, that is someone that, that I would never that let in my house. lighting was very unforgiving. Yeah. Incredibly unforgiving. Like, could you imagine that face coming up to you and being nope. like, can I clean your my, house? My house is so clean. Like, thank you. Good day. I say good day. <laughs> I don't actually live here. This isn't my house. Please leave. <laughs> <laughs> you've, been li- you, you've been misinformed. I don't live this here. This is not my house. I don't own a house. I'm going to go. I just live in the garden out back. I have no idea who this house belongs to. <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> she just like starts speed walking to church. I, I gotta go. Sorry, God. I'm you know. sorry. Yeah. The Lord I like God. Me. You don't like him. He's my friend. I'm gonna, <laughs> I don't know you. <laughs> Please don't steal my jewelry. My name is Bernadette, the host of Murderific True Crime Podcast. Murder plus horrific equals murderific. I cover some cases from the state of Maine in the United States and all over the world. Mass murders, domestic abuse, unsolved cases, serial killers, and mostly lesser known subjects. We don't shy away from the details, 
but we do that with all respect. This isn't entertainment. These are real people's lives, and I'm here to tell their story. Join me for my season five reboot, and together we will be executing podcasts one crime at a time. So this week's podcast plug is the Murderific Podcast. Yep. Murderific is a weekly podcast hosted by Bernadette, who covers mm-hmm. local and worldwide cases, lesser known cases, serial killers, the missing, mass murders, and domestic abuse. She does the whole shebang shebang. She does a phenomenal job with her show, and the quality is really amazing, and it's a must listen. She does a great job with her research. The audio quality is on point. Mm-hmm. Check it out. Check it. We'll have a link in the show notes. And this week's question comes from our buddy Josh at the Four Nerds by Nerds podcast. Okay. He wants to know if you could be any animated character, who would it be? Pikachu. I don't think there's any explanation needed. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's that's my answer. Pikachu. Yep. That's so you. That's such a you answer. How about you? I'm trying to think. Don't think. That's that's how you get in trouble. My, Just... my first my gut reaction is Marceline from Adventure Time. Yep, that makes sense. Yep. Oh, oh yeah. On that note, what's something good you'd like to share this week? Uh, you want me to go first and you can think? Yeah, please. Yeah. yeah, so my something good. The day we're recording this is a Thursday. Mm-hmm. And earlier today, I responded to one of Aaron Mankey's tweets. And for those of you that don't know who Aaron Mankey is, he is an established author who also has is the host of the podcast lore which was mm-hmm. like my gateway drug into podcasting and is one of my favorite podcasts to this day and he does two other podcasts i believe he does the cabinet of curiosities and then he also does mm-hmm. unobscured he might have another one that i'm not aware of those are the three that i know of right now mm-hmm. but i responded to one of his tweets and he wrote back <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool and That's we had so cool. like a back and forth dialogue for a little while and he gave like some encouragement for podcasting. He, he was like, are you making any ad revenue? And I was like, <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> just, just enough to keep the lights on <laughs> pretty much. And sometimes I got to pay for it out of my pocket. Yeah. My pocket. <laughs> Hashtag Patreon. <laughs> Hashtag support us. <laughs> Buy me a coffee. <laughs> I mean, like all of the coffees. But yeah, so yeah, cool. at, at the end of the conversation, he was like, you can do it. This bump. And I like my heart stopped for a second because I was like, oh, my God, we're best friends now. We're not best <laughs> friends. But I feel like I've gotten closer to achieving that like dream that I put out over long ago about manifesting, having Podcast him on our show mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I feel like yep. the seed has been planted. Like, yeah. hey, we had a conversation on Twitter. Remember that? I'm one of like the millions of people that's interacted with you on Twitter in the past <laughs> however many years. But this is a special conversation that I'm sure you're going to remember forever. <laughs> right. But he's honestly like a supportive enough soul that he might actually remember it. I wasn't going to go full geek and be like, remember that one time when I saw you live and we had a conversation about that book that I couldn't find, but I wanted to find. And you were like, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> we proceeded to uh, verbally bother your poor composer. Chad Lawson. Oh, he's also a gem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hi, I like your music. I sometimes play tabletop games <laughs> while listening to it. 
I was like, hey, your music that you make for lore is great background music for when you're playing Arkham Horror. Are you familiar with that tabletop game? And he was like, yes, I am. And I was like, oh, my God, it's great, isn't it? He's like, yeah, that's a good idea. And I was like, you're, you're welcome. That's your <laughs> and music. then we went to my apartment and ate pizza. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't it the pizza that has like the macaroni and cheese on top of it? Mm-hmm. And the pepperoni sticks. And I wonder why I'm fat. Anyway, I mean- <laughs> <laughs> it was a few years ago. It's fine. It was 2017. So long ago. So long ago. No, it was longer than that, wasn't it? I, no. No, 2017, I think. Because we saw him in 2019. Yeah. And by then, mm-hmm. he was in a bigger venue and more people were there. And other mm-hmm. like local podcasters were there that I recognized. I was like, I know her. Not personally, but I know who she is. And then the line to meet him was like ridiculously long. And I was like, we already experienced that. Bye. Yeah, and I had an anxious service dog that time around. Yep. And then we went to your house and had pizza with macaroni and cheese on top of it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't I'm, assume, I'm assuming. <laughs> Isn't that the time when we watched one documentary about the cult? Yes. The Rajneeshis in Oregon. Rajneeshi Param. Wild, wild country is the Wild, wild country, yes. Yeah, we watched like the entire series while I stayed over. Yep. Yeah, we did. And I left being like, what the fuck? Cult yeah. are weird. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Anyway. But you're something good besides going on this journey down memory lane with me. Okay, I do have something good. So my parents have this sweet little dog named George, George, but I call him George. And he he has Cushing's and has had some of like the bald spots and he's kind of swollen and he doesn't get around as well as he used to. And we recently found out he's been spitting out the medication, which (gasps) is why he hasn't been doing well, because I kept finding the capsules stuck in his little goat beard. Oh, what a turd. That jerk. And like, we tried hiding it in his food and he caught on pretty quick. Uh, Dad used to put it in turkey all the time and he caught on to that. So now what mom and I do is there's a jumbone that he really likes to eat. It's like kind of chewy. Mm-hmm. And we open the two capsules, put a little bit of water and like soak the jumbone in it. And he's been eating that like once it's dried. And he's doing really, really, really well. Like he's lost weight. He's less bloated. He's moving around. He was playing with a cat toy the other day for the first time in like months. So it was, it's just been really nice to see George become George again and be like comfortable in his body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's my good thing is George. George George being George. I'll post a picture of Goatman George on our socials so you can see what he looks like. I think I have a really good picture of him from when he was younger. And he was doing this, like, why are you taking a picture of me? I'll have to do, like, a George collage post or something. Like, the many faces of George. George. He's seriously one of the best. Shall we? We shall. You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at yieldcrimepod and on Instagram at yieldcrimepodcast. We are on YouTube, and I just spent a whole bunch of time today doing a really fun thing where I added some links to stuff, (laughs) and I updated the thumbnails on our videos to trick you into watching them. So maybe you should do that and subscribe because it'll make me feel better about myself and all the time that I spent doing it. Yep. (laughs) Guilt, guilt, guilt. You can also write us or send us things if you want, because we have a P.O. Box. Mm -hmm. You can write to us at Yield Crime Podcast, P.O. Box 341, Wyoming, Minnesota. 
1-800-285-5092. You can also email us at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. He just answered our last question. So if you want us oh, no. to answer more questions, you need to get on it and send some to us because we are out. Get down on it. We're really good at that. If you want us to not do that, send in <laughs> questions. <laughs> so you want to never hear that again, but give us money <laughs> and send us questions. Send us questions. If you're like, I can't give you money, but I want to support you. A great way to do that is by leaving a five-star rating and review. And this week we have a review from our friend Argy on Apple Podcasts. And he says, Mm -hmm. so much fun. Five stars. What fun. Lindsay and Madison are great. Even with only a handful of episodes under their belts. This is back from like July 2020. Okay. You just know this is going to be on your favorite list. I started with the long and the pig episode and knew the reference, so I knew it would be a ride. Looking forward to more and more. Thank you. Thank you, Artie. He is a huge supporter of the true, the independent true crime community, so that's why I was like, Artie! <laughs> like, really excited. <laughs> so I was like, awesome. I know that guy. He's nice. great. If you are able and would like to support us financially, you can do so on Buy Me a Coffee and leave a one-time donation. You can also join our Patreon for as low as a dollar a month, which will get you early ad-free access to our episodes. And depending mm-hmm. on what tier you're on, it'll also get you access to outtake episodes, audio links to appearances we've made on other podcasts, things of that nature. You can also support us by purchasing some of our merch on TeePublic. So right now, mm-hmm. when this episode comes out, you can enjoy 35% off June 10th through the 12th. And a reminder that this month, all proceeds will be donated to Outright Action International, who mm-hmm. fights for the human rights of the LGBTIQ people everywhere around the world. That's awesome. You can also make a donation anytime by visiting their website, which we will have a link to as well in our show notes. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Maddie. And we'll see you next time with another tale. And with this crime.